Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast where we take an in-depth look at the weather and climate and how you can be best prepared to weatherproof your life every day. I'm fortunate to be your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore, and I've tried to create a family of colleagues and friends from here at AccuWeather and around the world in different disciplines of life and professions, all who have the same goal. We want to explore and learn from each other and help you get ready to take on the day. And we've had some days of weather, haven't we, of late with this amazing massive storm That will be written about in the record books, this storm of 2021 that first impacted the Midwest and then transferred its energy and created a monster and long-lasting coastal nor'easter along the eastern seaboard. All of this coming as it is the week that we celebrated Groundhog Day and as this podcast drops on Friday morning, February 5th, it is National Weather Person's Day. So here this week... I would like to do three things. One, I would like to visit with two dear radio friends of mine from 1010 Winds to talk about how this massive storm, which was most prevalent in that New York City up into the New Jersey and over into the Lehigh Valley area with snow and then amazing storm totals up into New York and beyond. We're going to talk to Juliet Papa and John Montone from 1010 Winds about how it was to be in and around New York City in this amazing storm in the pandemic of 2021 where we didn't have as many people in New York City. We'll talk about that. We're going to celebrate National Weather Persons Day with two of my favorite weather people, Dave Dombeck and Danielle Niddle. And we'll join together to talk about what got us to be meteorologists in terms of what triggered our interest and aspect in this amazing profession and what we do every day, why we still do it, even though sometimes we can even face ridicule for being wrong. But all of that is makes for an interesting dynamic of who we are as weather people, and we're celebrating that in this week's episode. And at the final segment, where we take a look at the weather for the week ahead into the week beyond, look, I'm going to go back and take a stronger look, a more in-depth look at that storm and how it unfolded and some forecasting thoughts about how the forecast played out with meteorologist Dan DePodwin, who joins me in our weather for the upcoming week and week beyond segment. It's a busy week and it's a fun week for me to celebrate National Weather Persons Day by saying, friends, it's time to talk about everything under the sun. Before I forget, I want to mention this is episode nine of our winter series as we get you weatherproofed and ready for everything that winter has to throw at you and winter through something big at a lot of places here. Like uh, we'll talk about in the recap segment here at the end of the podcast, it was an amazing storm first for the Chicago area and a lot of the upper Great Lakes and Midwest and then didn't do much uh, to the eastern Great Lakes, but then picked up and 
lot of snow over a lot of time, interior parts of the northeast of New England, and then the super amounts of snow. A lot of it aimed at the New York City metro area. And that's why I wanted to do in our first Rays of Focus segment kind of a deep dive into what that storm was like in New York City, especially in the middle of our COVID-19 pandemic when everyday life in New York City is a little bit off anyway. So it is my pleasure to join uh, two members of my amazing 1010 Wins radio family who appear with me on a regular basis, and that would be Juliet Papa, who's a veteran reporter and spent the better part of two days with me at the 1010 Wind Storm Decks talking about this storm, and veteran street reporter John Montone, who lives right on the Jersey Shore, has a keen ear and eye for the weather and has a unique perspective of life in New York and what this storm was like compared to others. Time to welcome Juliet and John to Everything Under the Sun. Well, Juliet, I want to start. What I would like to do is start and introduce each of you and get folks a little background. Juliet, how long have you been with 1010 Wins? Uh, <laughs> years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> more than say, a dozen? <laughs> you know, yeah, more than a dozen. I think that's safe to say. Uh, but for, I'll say a few decades, and I've seen, you know, just probably so many storms and so many weather conditions, whether we're out in the heat or we're out in the, on the beach or we're out in the snow drift. So I've covered a lot of them. I've anchored a lot of them and we have four seasons here in New York. So it's always, there's always something going on here. And it all seems to be storm season sometimes, especially of late. John Montone has been roaming the streets of New York for how many years? Oh, <laughs> so I, I have been the um, New York side morning reporter since 1992. Um, before that, I, I worked over in Jersey and then I filled in in New York uh, 10 years before then. So I joined up in uh, 1982 and my first major weather story was the blizzard of 83. And uh, we were all told to get ready to work uh, 16 hour days. And I woke up with laryngitis. No. <laughs> the first and only time I've ever really had laryngitis. Uh -huh. And I stuck my head in this, this big pot and dumped Vicks in and I, <laughs> and by the end of the day, I could talk a bit. Wow. So you both have seen a lot. First aspect I want to talk about before we get into the numbers and and just uh, but but how different was it? I mean, the first storm that we had in December, it was getting to be close to the time when things would have been slowing down in terms of people maybe leaving town a little bit. So but this kind of major storm with the different pandemic life situation in the New York City metro uh, you know, different things I heard. I remember, Juliet, hearing you say one time as we were winding into that phase three of the storm, be careful out there because many of the businesses that normally would have been shoveling their sidewalks constantly in a storm couldn't, weren't because there's they're not open. And so yeah. getting around the city was even more difficult. So just uh, from your perspective first, Juliet, and then, you know, from what you saw from Jersey, John, in that whole situation. You know, there there were two sides of this coin. On the one hand, I think cleanup of this storm 
was so quick and tremendous. First of all, we have a new sanitation commissioner that may have something to do with it. Uh, and, you know, he's one of these guys, you know, a lifer with sanitation, but and a great communicator, by the way, you know, <laughs> yeah. just the facts. He spoke well. He told people not to have these great expectations of blacktop. But the fact that there was so little traffic out there and so f- fewer people it made their job a whole lot easier and actually more people looking for job as the day laborers, you know, that shovel the corners and shovel around the sewers so that everything can drain that. I think their job was made easier and the city sort of got cleaned up and plowed out faster because of that. On the flip side, as you mentioned, there were so many storefronts that are empty because the businesses went out of business that nobody's shoveling these walks. And at least in Manhattan and, you know, some of these business corridors, let's say in Flushing or Jamaica, Queens, you have storefront after storefront after storefront that's empty. Nobody's taking care of that. And who's going to do that? So that is a problem. And and I, I don't think, you know, if we have another storm, that's not resolve itself anytime soon. I, so, yeah, I, I agree, and and I think uh, the, the the specter of us having another uh, plowable snow now has gone up again here. Unfortunately, as uh, we record this uh, for the early Friday situation, John, you were out the next day, right? You were out on day two a bit in well, in, well, in, in the on the December storm. I right. came up right when it was at its most ferocious. And um, what I've learned over the years is all of the elected officials say, stay home, do not come in. And everyone thinks, good, everyone else is staying home, I can come in. And there's always traffic. But this time, there truly was no traffic. And I came up from Long Beach Island. I drove through the floodwaters, came up the parkway, and it was horrible. I couldn't see. There was no one else on the road. I finally made it over the Driscoll Bridge, which was a, a life and death experience. <laughs> I can imagine. And, I, you and know. all of a sudden, somewhere around Bloomfield, uh, a guy is coming in the opposite direction right at me. And He's in the wrong, wrong he's travel in, on the wrong side of the Garden State Parkway. Oh, and wow. fortunately, I swiveled like a good running back or something and... Uh, uh, I avoided them, but it was kind of crazy. I mean, nobody was out. I, I said, this is, no matter the storm, the severity, people take to the roads. Yes. Uh, and, you know, the BQE, the the Cross Bronx, all of the, and here it was on the Garden State Parkway, morning rush, nobody, very few. I mean, Right, right. And which tells me because uh, I, I, a lot of things to me we were fortunate on in this storm as bad as it was, one was the the wind, while strong, never got to the point where, well, the, let me put it this way. We didn't have the power outages I was expecting, yes. in, especially in Jersey. And the other there was so there was two things, I think. Um, and we'll talk about this in our third segment here in Everything Under the Sun. This week, we do an in-depth dive on the mechanics of the storm. There was actually two areas of spin. There was one near New York and then there was another one up near Boston, they kind of shared that coastal system. That's why it elongated. It lasted so long. But um, so there wasn't one concentrated stronger low. So I don't think the winds were quite as strong as we might have thought. And 
the whole storm was a little colder. So the inland snow was not as heavy and wet when it all said no, just a lot of it, right? Two to three feet in some of those jerseys, but it wasn't as heavy as a wet snow as it was closer to the coast. Uh, and so yeah. I think both those things kind of helped that situation, well, Juliet. People were describing a very light powdery snow. And I actually stuck my head out my window. I said, let me see what this looks like. And I was able to brush this away. No problem. It wasn't heavy and it wasn't you know, loaded down where, you know, you needed your shovel or something to do it. It was very light, but the wind, I thought, you know, the Wizard of Oz arrived. (laughs) It was howling literally all day and into the night and I could hear it. Um, I have a back alley and then I have the front, which is on the street, both sides. The wind was howling in both places, but most times in a storm, it's only one or the other, right? It's coming or going. This times it was both. It was pretty scary. And then the other weather condition or as a result of the weather, I live around these super tall high risers, you know, these super big buildings that are a thousand feet in the air. They're 75 stories. So what happens now is when it gets a little warmer, we get chunks of ice that's right. falling off the building. So yesterday I'm hearing crash, crash, crash. <laughs> chunks of ice are falling off the buildings into the street. And it's, I don't know how that gets prevented, but you're like, what the heck was that? It sounded like construction accident. Yeah. But this is another condition, another weather condition that that happens here. You know, life in the big city. This is this is what it is. John, another uh, big component of this storm. This was one of the worst uh, winter storms of uh, with uh, coastal flooding in the in the New yeah. York City yeah. area so that I Juliet is talking about life in the city, which I remember well. And it suddenly ended for me. Last March, when I was, you know, assigned to work remotely, now it's life on a sandbar. Right. And uh, we are, you know, the uh, Barnegat Bay, this is Long Beach Island. Barnegat Bay is about four to six miles wide. And then you have the ocean. And in between, you have this little sliver of land where. Subject to change by the mother nature at times, right? and, And where we've staked our future and this house on pilings and all of a sudden it's underwater. I mean, you, we woke up, I woke up at a three 30 to, to begin working. And I came downstairs and I looked out, put a light on and I said, Oh, we're in the middle of the Bay. And uh, I have not seen flooding down here like this since hurricane Sandy, we barely got a dusting of snow on Sunday, but it rained. And I guess the wind swirling around uh, coming from the northeast pushed the ocean through the two inlets on either side, the north and south side of the island, and exploded the bay. And the bay came crashing over and through the storm sewers, and we were just underwater. You couldn't, we couldn't get off the island if, if we had, you know, if the assignment desk called and said, right. you know, we need you in Brooklyn. I would have said, well, get me a boat. <laughs> row, row, row the boat. Yeah, yeah. Get the dinghy going. <laughs> As a meteorologist, that's the one in these storms that sometimes I, I don't feel like I pay enough attention to. Um, do you think 
most New Yorkers, I mean, I guess, you know, the obvious answer is those that care, you know, are living close or working close. But it's it's hard to know. I mean, the percentage of the other information that we have to get out. So sometimes that's a balance that I think I need to strike. But I I always try to mention at least what the severity would be and how many cycles. Right. That's the other interest when you how many how many more cycles am I going to see at least something? And, you know, when does it go away? Right. Those are the keys. How many high tides is what they talk about down yeah, here? Yeah, and it what wasn't it high tide, Dean? Wasn't it? High yeah, tide? it was. Uh, it was on the high tide cycles, and it was at least what four, John? That were I think four. Yeah, think so the four and then that the, affected us. Right. Yeah. The the middle two were the worst. In fact, the, it was probably the second that was the most the the worstest. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's been a long well, week. Unfortunately, we right. had had a full moon last week. Yes. and it was waning. So. Yep. That didn't add to the problem. Yeah, I told you, living a guy living near the ocean, he knows all his stuff yeah, like this. Very nautical. So. You have to know all these things. That's <laughs> well, I'm 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 learning. I still ask questions on the local social media boards, and and people will say, "Oh, this guy's a Benny," which is uh, an insult if you live down the shore. A, a Benny is uh, an old. Um, acronym for like Bayonne, Elizabeth, uh, <laughs> Newark, New York. Like you're just visiting. Right. You don't really yeah. belong here. <laughs> like a carpet, the old carpet bagger kind of thing, right? Yes. So, yes. yes. I think okay. the ones from Philly who come up are called shoebies. <laughs> oh, geez. These men used to wear their shoes on the beach. Well, trust the me, the, the, the folks from Wildwood have names for everybody too. <laughs> and, it, and it all works out. So well, that's, you know, that's funny. I, I will tell you when you talk about tides and flooding, uh, and, and in my experience, you know, reporting on weather and storms, Broad Channel, uh, huh. all those areas in South Queens, I, I don't know how people live there and stay yeah. there, but they're so devoted to yeah. staying there because and although we did not hear of any flooding this time, which sort of amazed me. Yeah, that area didn't seem to escape a little bit uh, from where. And again, that may have been just the positioning of the wind and and, and the direction. It's it's just amazing how five, 10 degrees wind difference can change the severity of flooding in, in, in about a five mile situation. Yeah. And well, Howard Beach, I, I every time I covered a story in Howard Beach, I think I was walking through water and I would ask people, why do you live here? And they would say, oh, it's 99.99 percent of the time. It's beautiful. Right. And now I understand uh, it, most days you wake up and it's salt air and it's the ocean and it's the bay and it's, you know, it's, it's seagrass blowing and it's beautiful. And then, you know. So it's worth the trade. I, I absolutely, right. absolutely. We're, we're running, I, you know, we call ourselves a family at 1010 Wins, both the on-air staff and the people that listen. And I really think, you know, it's amazing that you think of 1010 Wins, the monolith station. And really, it is truly a family of people trying to keep each other informed and, 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 and get the right information out. Juliet had a moment on day one of the storm when uh, a caller into the... Uh, into the radio station was a was a pretty prominent guest with the governor of New York, and it yes. raised some headlines because uh, there was a ban in place, and yet our dear Governor Cuomo was driving himself reportedly from <laughs> Albany into the city, yeah. and then had we all had the drama of in the middle of sentence he gets cut off, and we're hoping that everything's okay. 
Julia, did you how much reaction did you get? Um, well, I know how much reaction because I saw it all over the all over the Internet. It was well, amazing. First of all, his office tells us he's driving down from Albany. I'm like, why would you tell us that? You know, OK. And any reporter worth their salt, of course, is going to ask because now you have this one on one opportunity with the governor and you're going to try to talk about some other issues. And it's and I think he was just proud of himself and he's driving. Oh, oh he sounded proud of himself. I will say that I, yeah. that, that's just an observation from a meteorologist. But I don't think he was driving the GTO. He has, a, you know, he's a he's like one of these uh, vintage car guys. But uh, I, I learned later he was driving a, a Jeep or a, a four wheel or some kind. So but I had to ask him, do you think this is really a good idea <laughs> to keep driving in this? Uh, it's you know, it's a it's a question a mother would ask. All right. You were you were everybody's mother right there, Juliet. It was the, uh, you know, the elephant in the room. And, and it's just like, you know, you really think this is a good idea because everybody and their grandmother is telling you to stay off the road. Every official tells you don't drive, stay off the road. Not great. You know, let us clean up. Danger, danger. And he's like, I'm driving. So but you know what? He's good. He pivots. He goes, well, you know, life has options. And he says, I wouldn't be out here. I have to be out here because I know other people are out here working and they're cleaning the roads and they're trying to make everything safe. And I'm not going to you know, sit on my butt while everybody's working. So that it was it was, you know, it was a good answer, but you have to hold them to it. Of course, then he called in the next day and uh, you were able to visit the end with him. And at that point, didn't he want to give himself a raise because he had uh, been in the office all night? Yes. And, and then you said that you'd have to get the boss. You know, you'd have to ask the boss. Yes, it's the bo- well, I said to him, are you driving back now? That was my first question. I said, are you driving back up to Albany? No, I've been here all night. I said, oh, and that's when he said I should give myself triple overtime. And I said, yeah, you have to speak to the boss about that. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what his concern was? Again, speaking of weather was mass transit. Right. I I think at some point they really considered shutting everything down and they shut they shut down, you know, Long Island Railroad, Metro North and above ground service on the subway. Now, that's this close to shutting everything down. And I think he was waiting around to find to see how bad conditions were going to be before that happened. I mean, I'm totally speculating. Right. But uh, I think that. Well, that's an informed opinion of someone who's seen a lot uh, in that situation, for sure. But it didn't happen. So that was that was good. Uh, Governor Murphy, uh, I think, has done a, a good job in uh, New Jersey and communicating well, too, through this storm. John, uh, would you share that opinion? Yeah, he's an amiable fellow. I always think he gets his point across. And, uh, you know, he has a few memorable lines. I don't think he's as practiced as uh, Governor Cuomo, <laughs> but he he does a, a fairly good job. I mean, the thing is, there's this been this saturation with these guys because of COVID and them holding daily news briefings. And after a while, you know, all right, enough. I can, I can read a few lines of this. I don't have to hear the, the whole thing, you know, but you know, what's he going to say? Stay off the roads. This is a big one. We had um, a record, I guess, unofficial uh, so far, but up in Mount uh, Arlington, which is about 
uh, 50 miles northwest of Midtown on the shores of uh, Lake Hopatcong. They measured, uh, one of the weather observers up there measured 35 and a half inches of snow, breaking the old record, which was all the way down in Cape May from 1899. 1899, yeah. And now they say they have to confirm it, the National Weather Service. I think I asked you the other day, I don't know if anybody's come up with the answer, but they say it could take months. And and to my non-meteorological brain, I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, know. You, you put the, the yardstick in, <laughs> it came within this much to the top of the yardstick. And how are you going to confirm it? Isn't this well, part of it? Part of it is the process. So they will confirm with him that he followed the process because there truly is a way. Um, and, and it involves using a board and how often you clean it off and all of those things to so be you, a so measure. So, Dean, I want to hear this. I want curious minds. OK, well, 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 well that'll be another podcast. We can explain it. Um, but, yeah, there's a, there's a way to do it. So they're probably going to take their time and then they've got to try to do some site surveys of other measurements in the area. Now, I happen to have a friend that lives in Essex County and he said he got every bit of the 30 inches. So he believes it. I mean, he believes and it would make sense geographically because that's a place where. Well, this is Morris. This is Morris. County. Oh, I'm sorry. That was Morris. Oh, yes. But yes. but in yes. that general area where. The, the precipitation is kind of wrapping around and the Jersey Hills, as we like to call them, yeah. squeeze more out. We uh, see it here and where I live in central Pennsylvania by either upslope winds. It's always got to be upslope. So that wind would have been coming off the ocean. It comes up off the ocean. It has to go up, hitting those hills a little bit. And that helps ring out more. But. Is it a drift that is that high? No, that would be a measurement. That would be him in in a process of measuring uh, by the hour. And then also he probably has an area where he's he's continuing to measure as it's coming up. And then they also have to take some and boil it down to figure out the liquid equivalent because there's a ratio situation in snowfall, right? We talk about that at times. Heavy wet snow falls a little bit less than an inch, uh, 10 inches per one inch of moisture, the light fluffy stuff can be 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 inches per inch of rain. And so you have to try to figure out if the liquid equivalent of his measurements matches ones around. So yeah, it's it's bureaucratic, but it'll happen. And we'll probably know here in the next couple of months. Very scientific. Well, <laughs> Did I explain that? Really, that well? I'm just amazed that that anybody knows this stuff, you know, <laughs> me too. I'm amazed as well. You know, my dear friends, it's uh, great to talk with you. It's great to see you. We were mentioning that before yes. we got on here yes. that uh, we we talk and, you know, briefly, I, I do want to say this pandemic has changed the way we actually do radio, even though we're not together, we're more together because there's more back channel communication mm-hmm. to help each other be as informed as possible. And then that helps uh, our listeners be informed. And it's great to be on such a great team and family with you two and everybody else. And um, uh, I really always look forward to spending time with you two. Thanks so much for being with me today and talking about this storm. Dino, the best. Yes. If you'd like to check out the work of Juliet Papa, she's on uh, Twitter at WinsJuliet, W-I-N-S, Juliet, G-A-U-L-I-E-T. And John Montone has a Twitter presence, too. It's uh, at 1010WinsMontone, 1010WinsMontone, M-O-N-T-O-N-E. Well, coming up, 
we will celebrate National Weathercasters Day, which was founded by the National Weather Service to celebrate the notion that it takes a village, really. The day commemorates the birth of John Jeffries, who was really America's first weather observer in Boston back into the 1700s. And we'll celebrate how meteorologists interact with the rest of the weather community to try to help you be informed with two friends and colleagues that I look forward to talking with about that. Danielle Niddle and Dave Dombeck join me next on Everything Under the Sun. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. And welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com here as we celebrate a busy week where we saw really the groundhogs have a split vote between whether we're going to get an early spring or extend winter another six weeks. It also is coming off the heels of that major storm that we just got done talking to our friends at 1010 Winds, uh, Juliet Papa and John Montone about. I wanted to take this part because originally before that superstorm, we had kind of planned that this episode, the ninth one, would be a celebration of something we're celebrating this morning as this podcast drops. Happy National Weather Persons Day. And to do that, I wanted to bring in a couple of my friends here who I think kind of joined me in kind of representing a gamut of a lot of things. One in, uh, let's say, in different areas of responsibility, also in different ages and experiences, some more than others. Uh, and then also in uh, in all kinds of aspects in terms of the way and things we're interested in. But then we also have some common themes. So we call ourselves jokingly, the three of us when we get together, the three D's. Dean DeVore, your host here, our friend Dave Dombeck, who we've talked to many times on Everything Under the Sun, who we use in our weather segment at the end where we talk about the weather for the upcoming weekend and the week beyond. And I also wanted to bring in a new guest to Everything Under the Sun, Danielle Niddle, who's been now, Danielle, how long now has it been with you for AccuWeather? Were we up to almost 10? Is it getting to be that many years? We're just past 10, 10 and a half wow. years now, Dean. Good. So, so Danielle's been with us 10. I've been 23. Uh, this is my 23rd. And Mr. Dombeck <laughs> is the most seasoned. How many years, Mr. Dombeck, for you? 40 plus. 40 plus years 40 with AccuWeather. Plus. And I'm you came right guy. out of Penn State University, right? Uh, you, yeah. you you started working just after graduation. Had you been working for Joel part-time and before graduation doing anything? No, but I did have Joel uh, in my forecasting class at Penn State. In fact, that was the second to last year that Dr. Joel was teaching that forecasting class, 1981. Uh, one more year he taught it, uh, and then that was it for him. But I remember that was a big class that year. We had, uh, I don't know, 44, 45 people in that class. And wow. uh, first day of class, he said, you know, you beat me in the contest. You've got an automatic A in the class. Well, I got an automatic A in the class. I beat him in the contest. There were actually three others of us that beat him. Um, I, I came in second place in that forecasting contest that's, that semester or that term. I remember, Dean, back in the days when we had the terms, yes. the, the, the trimesters. Um yeah. 
I, I, I lost by one point, but the three of us, four of us beat Joel and about eh, two thirds of the way through that spring term, Joel approached me uh, after class and asked me if I wanted to come to AccuWeather and interview for a forecasting position. And I did, and I guess I did well enough, got the offer and started in uh, July of that summer, 1980, and the rest is history, as they say. Now, Dave, uh, you're a Pennsylvania guy. Tell uh, everybody where you grew up in the great state of Pennsylvania. Dallas, and not Texas. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Dallas, PA, northern uh, Luzerne County, up in the northeast part of the state, kind of west of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton area. They and endless uh, mountains, right? Yeah, they called that the back mountain area, kind of that back mountain, like on the other side of the Wyoming Valley. But then just north of us is the endless mountains up. Right. In the, so it's kind of yeah, between endless mountains and then the Poconos are. Can, what we consider the Poconos are more to the south a little bit as you get closer south to and east. right. Yeah, that that used to bug me, Dean, when I was going to Penn State and all these kids from Philly on my dorm and keep people I would know. It's like they call everything up there, like on the other side <laughs> of the Lehigh Panel, everything up there is up the Poconos, there. right? Right to the New York border. And I used to really get on me. It's like I used to get really mad at them. <laughs> now, Danielle, uh, so I started Penn State in the in the mid eighties, right? As Dave or shortly after Dave was finishing. And then you started, I think Penn state in about 2006, if I read right on, you uh, got it. So, yep. So uh, they're in the, so Dr. Joel Myers, not teaching anymore, but certainly aware of AccuWeather and you grew up in Hackettstown. Hackettstown. Yes. So we were, I was originally uh, from the the Philly area, born in Philly. We moved around a couple of times when I was really young and then we settled in Northwest Jersey and Hackettstown. So as they say, pretty much everyone in Jersey can reference an exit number off one of the major interstates and I can do the same exact thing. So, (laughs) and (laughs) off exit 19, off of route 80 and then came to Penn state in 2006. So I know from my perspective that I was extremely aware. So I, I've worked for AccuWeather for 23 years, I think I feel like I've been with AccuWeather all of my 50, low 50s, right? I'm in the low 50s. Uh, all of my 50 plus years, I feel like I've been part of AccuWeather because it was such a part of our life. We, living in Lancaster, listened to WSBA in York. So I grew up listening to Elliot with a guy named Hal Raymond. But then I would also, because I was media savvy young, I would turn over to the KYW on the dial and then listen to Elliot over there talking about Philadelphia and living in Lancaster. We got a pretty good picture of what was going on in eastern Pennsylvania. Um, one of our first radio stations at AccuWeather was warm up in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton. So, mm-hmm. Dave, is that how you kind of got to once you was that an affiliation that you knew of growing up oh, with AccuWeather? Abs- absolutely. Big time. You know, listening to Dr. Joel, listening to Elliot. Uh, and some of the other names, you know, I remember hearing John Cosette. I remember hearing Evan. I remember hearing uh, Evan, Dr. Evan Myers. Yeah, like Evan yeah. Myers was stable in the afternoons. Evan worked a lot of afternoon drive there for a long time, right? Right. And and the morning guy there was there for many, many years, Harry West. Harry um, West, yeah. I don't know if you ever talked to him or probably heard of I Harry. Didn't, I didn't. That was after me. But okay. again, that Warm was the same company that owned Susquehanna Broadcasting, owned WSBA. So a lot of similarities to what you were hearing with Harry West on Warm. And then WSBA was kind of the same situation down in New York with, with Hal Raymond. They had a pretty good kind of full service, great morning show and very informational mixed in with the music. And uh, 
Danielle, so growing up near Philly, but then growing up Hackettstown's more in 1010 Winds area, it's kind of on the fringe, but yep. familiarity with those radio stations as well? Yeah, definitely some familiarity with those uh, growing up and uh, kind of being where I was. You got the, the blend of New York City and, and Philly or so on the fringe of both coverage areas. So, uh, you know, too, a little bit too far or so to pick up KYW, but certainly that's uh, what was on the radio at times when we would travel to see the family down in Philly, but also definitely got, uh, you know, 1010 wins and the coverage area there in New York. And uh, the one thing that kind of at least that eventually brought about a Penn State connection and kind of kind of guided me into that when I got my interest into uh, meteorology actually came out of Philly. Um, I was uh, a, a big fan of watching the One News uh, stations down there and Glenn Schwartz and his connection to Philadelphia. So that kind of kind of triggered that one. It's like, oh, look into him. And he went to Penn State. I'm like, oh, look, okay, Penn State's got this great program. And then that kind of helped guide me along that way. So I kind of got a little bit of taste of both worlds and the connections to AccuWeather or so as a as a whole from the radio standpoint from Northwest Jersey. Glenn Hurricane Schwartz, who uh, has been a, was a fixture in Philadelphia for years, actually worked at AccuWeather for Right. Uh, didn't he go to Penn State and actually work for a short time? I think so. I believe, I believe so. Yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been before my time. Dean. Right. A little bit. Before right. I, yeah. I think it was in that like uh, 60s period right before you would have, uh, you know, definitely started working. Uh, my TV influence. Uh, well, we had a local station, WJAL in Lancaster, who had a pretty good guy. I don't know who briefed him. I don't know. His name was Bill Saylor. I know he wasn't a meteorologist. But of course, being in Lancaster, we were close enough to Philly and we got all the Philly stations because mm-hmm. antennas were good back then. Right. <laughs> you know, like, did you have Dave, did you have the rotor? Did you have the oh, yeah. one? Where, yeah. Where, so, yeah. Danielle, do you know we had to have a rotor where we would turn a dial so that the antenna would turn right to see <laughs> and then be lined up in a right direction to be able to get certain stations from certain markets. Yep. And where we were in Lancaster, we were tweener to. Uh, you know, Baltimore, Washington, we could turn our dial and get some Baltimore stations. So anyway, oh, wow. <laughs> I know. And now all we do is watch our phone and we get all yeah. that in an instantaneous <laughs> second. But uh, I was well, just going to say Jim O'Brien for me. Um, and, you know, this is kind of the thing where National Weather Persons Day. And I'm, this is again, we're talking with Dave Dombeck and Danielle Niddle from AccuWeather, two of my great colleagues. And and kind of um, National Weather Person's Day to celebrate it. It's not necessarily a weather person necessarily isn't a classically trained meteorologist. And in fact, of these three that you're listening to now, two of them are classically trained. One of them isn't. And that's me. Now, I did do coursework through Mississippi State. Um, and so I do have a, a, a degree through Mississippi State with an emphasis in broadcast meteorology. But I think I had a living lack laboratory as I was working at AccuWeather while I was getting that second part of my education. And so, but I got my education listening and watching the presentations of people like Jim O'Brien and in New York uh, for years, Sam Champion and uh, Lee Goldberg and Bill Evans and those folks. And so, but what, what is really key is the backbone of that was great information. A lot of those people weren't classically trained meteorologists. But they got great information from more classically trained meteorologists. But being a weather person, I think, is someone who's able to be savvy of the weather and communicate the weather well to people who, um, you know, it's it's 
you know, for, for many times, and we've seen it here in the last week, life and death, protecting property. Um, you know, sometimes we think whether or not it rains at our daughter's wedding in August and we need to plan now, you know, is a life or death. It's not necessarily, but it's an, an important decision that, you know, things are. Uh, so I think that idea of encompassing this idea of communication, that's another reason I wanted to talk to the two of you. I believe, you know, amazing communicators. So one of the things I'd like us to communicate, and uh, I'll let Danielle go first, is what was the spark? to get you into weather and what was the spark to get you into this field growing up uh, as you uh, as you were thinking about it so a lot of uh, fellow meteorologists who are my age or so when you when you ask that question they'll reference um, the blizzard of 96 uh, in January of 96 or so as uh, what kind of brought about that interest in weather at that young age. And that would have put me at about second grade. For me, it came a couple of years later, actually during the summer of 1998. And uh, my family and I, we go on a vacation every year down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That was our fourth year doing it at that point. And uh, that year down there was the first time we were affected by a tropical system. We had Hurricane Bonnie heading toward uh, the Carolina coastline. And unfortunately, the, so the path that was taking, they went and they declared an evacuation for all visitors. So we were, we were actually out playing miniature golf that afternoon and we leave the course and we just see this line of traffic going the other direction. We're like, well, this isn't good. They said something while we were out there and we got back to the hotel. We found out we had to leave. Now, at this point. I actually was terrified of anything storm-related, thunderstorms, you know, right. anything with that. I, I just freaked. Um, so I was glued to the TV, afraid of what was going on when the storm wasn't anywhere close yet. Um, but after after that and after the evacuation, we came back, you know, I, I just kind of started to just stay glued to the TV and watching the weather. And I wouldn't stop watching even when it was quiet. And then the, the fascination for it just kind of grew from there. Dave, uh, anything from you uh, specifically? I, I think you may tend more to me where it's not necessarily uh, an event, but it's more about lifestyle and interest in nature and all that kind of stuff and helped you lead to that. But maybe it is an event that triggered you. Yeah, I mean, and of course, I think the thing that we all have in common and most meteorologists that, that are forecasters were weather weenies. Depending on where yes. where you are in the country, whether you want to call them weather geeks, weather weenies, weather freaks, you know, whatever. We just <laughs> love the weather, and and that's uh, it, and it's hard to explain. You know that it's when you try it to is. tell your your family, your friends, whatever, they don't get it. Like they look at you like you have a third eye or something. You know, it's a, mm -hmm. and I say, I say it's like a, it's a, it's either an extra chromosome or a missing missing gene or something something defect in there. But we're all you know the weather weenies. We love the weather, and for me, I was always the curious George. You know, right. I was always wondering, like, the why, you know, things really like as a as a little kid, I'm talking, you know, second, third grade, fourth grade. You know, I'd look out, I'd look at the thermometer and I'd see it was 28 degrees and it's raining and there's icicles. There. It was like, why isn't it snowing? You know, right. or right. over and over and over and over again, where we lived in Dallas, we just lived in a ripoff area for air mass thunderstorms. And we would just get sometimes you could I mean, you would hear the light that you hear the thunder. You see the light, you could actually smell the rain. It was so close and we would miss them. We would miss thunderstorms over. It's like, why? Why is it like pouring a mile down the road and we're not getting it? So with me, it was like that curiosity of the why. Um, and I guess the two things that really that 
that I really loved as a little kid. And eventually it got to be the the, the hurricanes and tropical uh, weather as well. But mm-hmm. it was the thunderstorms right. and, and the snow, especially. I started keeping a record of a snowfall in, I, I believe it was fourth grade. I started keeping that and I kept that every year through elementary uh, school, through uh, junior high and into high school. Every time it would snow, mark it down, measure it, mark it down, tally it up for the for the season. Um, I kept that going and, you know, any records like super cold, super warm, you know, hot uh, uh, records in that I kept that. Uh, and so I kept things going at home. And I remember when I went to Penn State as a freshman and my next youngest brother, I told his name is Mark. I said, Mark, you know, and I gave him instructions. I said, you know, when it snows, don't wait too long. Go out, measure. You know, he he got a couple and then he then he missed a couple. He's, he missed a couple of storms. I was so mad. I was ready to kill him. I was ready to deck him. And it's like, then I had to just like chill out. And I had to say, you know, I, I just, he doesn't have the passion. Like, and I had to just right. let it go. Right. But I was he didn't so get mad that gene defect that you got, right? It wasn't, he didn't have the gene defect that you got. Yeah. And I was so mad, you know, my, but I had to just let it go. But no, I, I've been that weather weenie from, from just a kid. And, you know, of course, back then it was no internet. We had the uh-huh. Like I, I, I remember distinctly, Dean. You know, we three of the three or uh, three of the four stations. We got four stations, right? Uh, the PBS, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Uh, except for the CBS, we had to tilt it towards Scranton more to get right. to Channel Twenty Two, and the other three you would tilt it to the southeast down at Penobscot Knob. Tom, the other, yeah, Penobscot but, Mountain, yeah. But by mountaintop to get the other. But I used to do that. I used to, and I was a big radio person flipping this station, flipping that right. station. And, you know, during a snowstorm, I would be, I I knew pretty much how hard it was snowing, Dean, by by what lights were disappearing at night. And I was, oh, so you were, I was, you were taking OBS before you knew you were taking OBS, right? Exactly. You, were, you know, yeah. I knew in, in the far <laughs> hill, uh, I, you know, that when that disappeared, I was pretty light snow. And then, then there was a barn down the road and it was, they had a light that when that would disappear, it's, it's snowing pretty good now. And, and then just down below us, when that house and the lights there would disappear, I knew it was heavy snow. So, so yeah. I think, and, I, and I wanted to go Penn state or Penn state. It's like it, right, either I did no something main campus or Wilkesbury campus and then transfer and then get but, over here. Right. But Penn state was my only choice for school. Well, you made a good one. I, I think for me, it was a lot of things. One is our, the position of our house and our front porch faced North and West. And it was a perfect view and a place where I could cheat um, with the, my parents wanting me to come in as quickly as possible when there's lightning mm-hmm. and thunder, but I could kind of duck behind uh, part of it and, keep cheating and watching that thunderstorm roll in and kind of watch the different lightning and the different aspects of the clouds. And then fortunately, as I was coming of age in my education and the the media uh, blossom of what we have and and Dave's right. And we've talked about this on this podcast before the, the, the tools that we have to work with now as meteorologists, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of, I feel bad, you know, for what they had to go through mm-hmm. dialing up for radars just a couple of minutes left. And I really appreciate this time. Again, we're talking with Danielle Niddle, Dave Dombeck. We're celebrating National Weather Person's Day, kind of giving you an insight into some of the reasons why we weather people have chosen what we have done to do. Um, you know, you call it a, a defect, Gene, because there's a lot of risk in being a meteorologist because we put out our forecasts and, you know, everybody's forecasting. Now you got sports people forecasting sports stuff. You get, uh, you know, 
all the financial news is forecast about whether stocks are going to go up or down or this fund's going to go up or down. I mean, people in the news, the regular news now, they're all making forecasts about what's going to happen. But our forecasts seem to be held to the biggest scrutiny. In fact, you know, there was those stories running about, was it Italy? Somewhere they were going to actually maybe prosecute some meteorologists because of a bad forecast. <laughs> oh, right. Um, yes. So, so, okay. Why do we do that? I mean, why do we put ourselves at that risk for being wrong? And obviously we are wrong at times. I mean, there are times it happens. Why do we put ourselves in that risk? Daniel, Daniel, why do you, why do you think that is? You know, I think, uh, at least in a way, kind of for, for me, I, I just love being able to communicate the, the weather, you know, just in general. So um, getting that message across and, and doing all the radio work that I, that I do, you know, I just, uh, it, it's a love and a passion that I know, as you said, comes with risk, but uh, I, I take on that challenge. And, uh, you know, de- depending on who I'm speaking with, you know, if we happen to be wrong, they're, they're, they're not afraid to mention it on air. And, you know, we kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of have a little bit of fun with it, especially, you know, if it kind of uh, goes in a way that's uh, more beneficial for them or so, and things don't work out uh, quite as extreme. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's just a, you know, I don't want to say enjoyment, but it is pretty much just an an enjoyment thing, you know, and getting again, that message across. So um, take the risk and, uh, you know, do what you do what you love. Dave, what about you? And, and, and I know one of the things we try to do at AccuWeather is mitigate risk of a a really bad forecast by trying to cover possibilities or you know, talking about things being likely. I mean, we're going into a situation where the modeling as we're sitting here recording this, the modeling on a coastal storm in the early next week had gone away. And now we're getting back to where it's looking like there may be something. So, I mean, we run into this a lot. I think the key is communicating ahead to people. And if you can do that and mitigates the risk, but it's it hurts when we miss a forecast, right? It's just hard when that happens. It, it is. And, and, you know, of course, in my 40 plus years, I've seen I've seen many busts. I've seen many disappointments. Uh, but, you know, I always go back to and it really is it when you think about it, our career, you know, our, our field is, is it's a very humbling career uh, field. You know, forecasting is a, is a humbling career. And that uh, I remember one of my professors at Penn State many, many years ago told us and, they, and really drilled this into our heads. And it stuck with me all my days and it kept me humble. Right. And that he said, you know, you guys can make an absolutely perfect forecast. Every parameter is perfect. High temperature, low temperature, dew point, wind direction, wind speed, sky cover, precip type, precip amount. And everything is perfect, 100 percent. And you know what? The best you could ever, ever hope for is a tie. You can never, ever beat the atmosphere. In so a way, perfect it, forecast is a right. tie. There's no win. There's no right. such thing as a win in forecasting. And with that, you know, always it kept me humble all my days. But, you know, I love explaining things in, in, in a very simple, you know, boiled down uh, layman's terms to people. And that's something with students, meteorology students coming out of school. That's the toughest, absolute toughest thing that they could possibly do because they're for four years or five years or whatever, they're bombarded with technical terms and equations and everything. And now you've got to talk to the the average Joe or Jane Q public that really doesn't know anything about the weather. And so uh, I even give students that we give talks to at different schools and my recruiting and that, I say, here's a challenge for you. Pick your favorite weather term, cold front, dew point, whatever. And now explain that to your grandmother. 
And that's a lot tougher to do than you think. And so, but that's something I enjoy. I enjoy really getting a complex situation and boiling it down in a real simple terms. This is how it is. I'm I'm smiling right now because I think this leads into something. I know uh, our great uh, staff of production people here are amazing executive producers. I gave them that title the very first episode of everything under the sun that I hosted, but Ken and Andy are, are in the wings. And, you know, we've been talking, I think the three D's right here, Dean, Danielle, well, we'll go Danielle, David, and Dean. We might have to try to do, I, I think maybe what we should do is start it with a segment in this podcast. So in the spring, when we get to spring, we're going to do a segment or Q and a segment. And if that goes well, I think it's we we got a podcast with the three of us. So I, I'd like to do a Q&A because I think between the three of us, I, I want to get, uh, get people involved in asking questions. Do you guys think that's a good idea, Ken and Andy? Oh, like, absolutely. It's a, yeah. it's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. For sure. All right. So how about this? We, we agree to meet in the spring. And uh, actually, as this podcast drops, today's the first day of solar spring, right? It's uh, We make that switch. Was it, we're almost into spring anyway. We'll be into the spring season and we will... Definitely do that. Uh, Danielle and Dave, it was a pleasure. Happy Weather Person's Day. Enjoy a weekend if you can. It's been a crazy week. And um, friends, uh, we'll talk to you both soon. Thanks, Dean. Well, why don't we go ahead now and just solicit questions for the next uh, 3D segment, right? So uh, we'll give you the podcast email address and you can send your questions. And we'll get to that in the first couple of weeks of our spring series. The uh, podcast email address is accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com ask us a question about a certain phenomenon you've seen a process why this is called this i've heard this term um we did that deep dive into the polar vortex and sudden stratospheric warming we can do some dives into some of the technical jargon that you hear every day so that's what we'll do again if you'd like to send a question and We'll get to the three D's. See, see, the reason I picked that name was because I figured if, you know, three D's come together, we should be able to come up with an A answer. So we'll do that on the next time that the three of us get together. When we come back on the other side, I'll visit with AccuWeather meteorologist Dan DePodwin. We'll take a look at that epic storm from the last week, and we'll take a look ahead at this weekend and upcoming week. As winter continues here in the Northern Hemisphere, we'll come back after this on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. From AccuWeather.com, I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore, your host. Again, uh, first segment, we talked with uh, 1010 Winds, Juliet Papa, and John Montone, revisiting how that major storm impacted the New York City metro area and some amazing thoughts about how it was such a different situation with having far fewer people in the um, New York metro area. And that was uh, an amazing talk. And we just finished up talking with the three Ds, Danielle, Niddle, Dave Dombeck, and myself, uh, which, uh, by the way, I'll, I'll just tell our next guest here ahead of time before I introduce him. We've decided that we're going to do our own podcast called The 3Ds. But anyway, actually, you could be a guest welcoming in meteorologist Dan DePodwin. Um, Dan's been now, 
Dan, how long now have you been with us here at AccuWeather? You're getting into your 10, 11 year time, right? Yeah, we'll have the 10 year Accuversary, as we call it, in July of this year. So I've known Dan for a while before AccuWeather. Dan was uh, a member of the Pennsylvania State University marching blue man. I haven't done that in a while. <clears throat> I probably should do that again. <laughs> Take two, blue man. So that's better. Uh, that's that's much better. So I've known Dan since. Uh, he was a youngster. And at that point, so this that's 15. So, yeah, I've been at AccuWeather. So you knew that aspect. And I, I can remember us talking a bit about that. And, of course, uh, went from Penn State and started working at AccuWeather. Started as an operational meteorologist and then went more into an area. Explain that area that you, you were looking at uh, our, our forecasting process kind of behind the scenes there for a while. Yeah. After three years as an operational forecaster, I, I moved into uh, what was then our innovation and development team focused on forecasting accuracy, the different data sets we have. And then also that sort of branched into working with our different uh, data partners, whether it be uh, the National Weather Service in the U.S. or private companies who supply us weather data or even different governments around the world who we partner with. So that was really interesting. I did, did that for about five years and then came back into into forecasting operations as a forecasting manager uh, just about a year, year and a half ago, about six months before COVID. And then right after that, in, in the, like a six-month baptism, and then boom, we, uh, we have to rewrite how we do things at AccuWeather, as every other company has. But uh, amazing success in that regard. And we can talk about that a little bit at the end. Um, Dan is married to Becky DePodwin, who also works for AccuWeather. And so as we celebrate National Weather Persons Day, um, Becky's got a huge role in our company. And uh, I was talking to Dave and Danielle about, you know, sometimes that idea that it's it's tough to be meteorologists. We make mistakes once in a while. Things don't work out exactly as we think they would. And it can be tough. Is it tougher? Because I think sometimes when when I commiserate to a non-meteorologist partner, uh, I can kind of get glassed over and I can say whatever I want. If you get frustrated, uh, can she retort? Well, I didn't think that, right? You know, like I, if you would have listened to me, we would have forecasted better. I don't know. How does that work at the dinner table? Uh, that's funny, Dean. I, you know, she, she actually refers to me for certain things because I'm the one looking at this stuff on a regular basis uh, from a forecasting standpoint. Becky's much more in the emergency management preparedness side of things. So she's, well, a lot of times defer to me and I'll, I get worked up about snow chances too. And I'll tell her, look, another storm's coming. And she'd be like, oh, really? Again, you, you, you keep mongering those storms. I, I've been right so far this year. <laughs> Let's explain that. And we'll go back. So in, in the office, you can get categorized as a monger or a non-monger. If you're a monger, you want to quickly take up amounts no matter what is going on because you see one model run that favors higher snow amounts. That's at least how we characterize you. You know, a, a non-monger is a person that uh, wants to keep snow amounts down, more conservative and... Um, so, so yeah, she throws the monger out. Yeah. That's, that's I, I like to think of myself though, as a situational monger. I, I, I agree. I think there are times to monger. I think I, so one thing when we talk about snowstorms and what Dan and I are going to do here is kind of take about 10, 15 minutes and really kind of go back over the recent storm and just kind of do a little analysis of it. We call it a postmortem uh, officially at AccuWeather that we do on storms. And I just want to talk about it because I know so many people were fascinated by that. And then also then another five minutes or so to take a look ahead because we got amazing things coming down the pike, it seems, in terms of weather and extraordinary stuff. But 
I mean, when we're looking at a storm like this, and and I invited you to listen to last week's podcast, Dan, about um, I had Brett Rossio on and we went over the Miller B scenario. And again, if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, uh, a gentleman named Miller came up with some scenarios in terms of how coastal lows that become nor'easters can get generated. And the one scenario was that his B scenario is what happened. It was an area of low pressure coming into the Great Lakes, uh, Ohio Valley. It starts transferring energy to a low that organizes off the eastern seaboard. And then that's what becomes your big storm, your coastal storm, and uh, becomes the nor'easter. And then that moves up along the coast. Um, so we had that in in practicality, but there were things about that, Dan, that I was amazed at early on. All right. So as I think let's in my mind, the week or so before we knew that something was going to happen. We liked the Miller B thought. Certainly the thought was that, you know, Chicago was going to get crushed. Detroit was going to get a pretty good amount. We were starting to worry about a snow glut in central Pennsylvania. And I'm laughing now because of exactly what happened. Right. We were worried about that. And then the, the, the coastal storm getting going and really crushing the coast. It, as we went into the weekend, it became more apparent the coastal low was going to really crush the coast. We still felt pretty good about Chicago. Detroit became the ripoff zone, to be honest with you. That ended up being the area that got the least amount from both pieces. The amazing scenario of what happened on the East Coast. I mean, historic stuff here. First thing, that first low, it kept its identity longer in this scenario. Did you not feel that way? So even though it kind of went south, it kept pushing and that got some really good snow into like Pittsburgh and up into State College early on. And of course, here in State College, I think it was 72 hours straight of flaking. It was crazy. First time, only the second time ever, State College has had three days in a row of two inches of measured snow or more. I just saw that stat. So first part, was that interesting to you that that first low seemed to hold on longer, even as it was transferring that energy to the coastal low? Yeah, I agree with that, Dean. I think that's a really interesting point. You don't typically see a low go. I'm not sure where where it ended up in terms of how far north latitude, but it seemed like it went all the way into parts of Ohio and it didn't weaken. Almost West Virginia, Dan, if I remember just seeing yeah. the spin, if I remember seeing it on the satellite in the morning. And it didn't seem like it, it It didn't weaken as quickly as a lot of them do, too. Um, I think what, what might have contributed to that without looking at it too in depth is that it was a really like the whole pattern before that storm was very slow moving, right? It was, everything was sort of blocked up. And I think there's a slow moving nature of that pattern and therefore the storm sort of could have helped that. And then it was obviously responsible for the prolonged nature of the event in some locations too. Right. So that thing, that first piece holds on to its identity longer. The next piece, the coastal piece normally is one defined center of low of rotation. As that thing developed, there was actually two. There was one near New York and New Jersey, and that really got things going in New York. It came in a little earlier, the precipitation, than maybe we thought a couple of hours, and then they were off to the races. As that lower coastal circulation really strengthened, the short-term modeling was very key at picking up explosive snow rates near the coast, and we saw that from New York up into uh, New Jersey. And that was kind of phase one of the coastal storm that really started to explosive growth. But then there was also another circulation that was up near Boston. And so as this kind of energy went up there, you know, we thought 
we, we always were confident New York would get a good thump, may go over whether or not the where the rain snow line went in the New York Metro was a question even that day before all things started to really get going. Boston, we were pretty certain that Providence, Boston proper would get a decent thump at the beginning, probably go over and then come back. Up there, because that second low was spinning, it felt like it pushed that rain snow line back much quicker. I think Boston only got about an inch or two on the front thump. I think Providence was like three. But then the crazy part of the storm up there, if you you could draw a really sharp line from just at the 128 corridor near Boston, right through to just north and west of Providence City, that line right on it and past it was a foot and and then it ramped immediately down to almost nothing that they got and they were kind of stewing around in rain. And then like this whole storm kept doing those two things didn't really go away quickly. They just kind of stayed there for a couple of days. The most intense part of the storm was Monday in New York. But even Tuesday was not good, uh, especially as the colder air started to wrap around and got a little icier. Eventually, the colder air wrapped around up in Boston. They had more bouts of snow after that. Did I give a good synopsis of something the way that all worked out? Uh, I think it's just it was an amazing situation to keep watching for me over the last 72 hours. Yeah, I totally agree, Dean. I don't I haven't seen a storm that's produced that persistent snowfall across such a large area in a really long time. I'd be interested to see what other events have been like that. I mean, it obviously will, will go down as like the blizzard of 96 in many places. And some of the same areas picked up those 30 inch plus totals in northwest New Jersey down through the Allentown area, too. I mean, I mean, that was where the, the biggest swath of heavy snow was. And I was struck too at how long some of the moderate to heavy snow lasted in those areas. I mean, it started snowing on Sunday afternoon in Northwest New Jersey, and then it came down at two to four inches an hour on Monday morning. And even by Monday uh, night, when I was, I, I was doing some different radio hits, I mean, it was still snowing at an inch an hour across a lot of that area just the persistent nature of it. And I think you're right that double, it's unusual to see that setup where you have two different areas of low pressure off the coast. And I think that could have contributed, as you said, to the Boston situation, the, the wind direction obviously is key up there with what the wind direction is and how much off the water it is, depending on whether you'll get that heavy snow right at the coast or you have to go a bit inland to get it. I think in these uh, scenarios, and I think we judge ourselves a lot of times on the numbers. Um, and because obviously that's the way the public judges and the way our partners that hire or, or use AccuWeather to, to help communicate the weather, they judge us on numbers. But one of the things I thought we did a really good job on impacts with this storm so that the numbers when we had to increase or decrease in the pending, uh, we were still capturing the impacts. The one that really surprised me that didn't occur as much as I thought and it may also be because of that double low on the coast, not as many power outages as I thought. And I think in the end, this wind wasn't quite as strong because it was uh, the, the area of low pressure wasn't as uh, compact or as strong. It wasn't one strong one. It was kind of diffused a little bit. But that's a godsend, a blessing for that area with especially in North Jersey and some of those areas up to three feet of snow. I mean, the impacts were bad, but it could have been a lot worse and we could have millions and millions of people without power. And that was the one thing that kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah. And I'd be interested to see, you know, we talk a lot about snow ratios, right? You have a certain amount of 
liquid that comes out and that ter- basically that, that converts to snow. And in, in certain cases where the temperature is near freezing, you can get a, a, a ratio where you get a heavy, wet snow. So if you're shoveling, it take, you know, it's a lot of weight to shovel. But in other right. cases, it's more powdery. And I'm wondering what the, the ratio ended up being in the area that had the heaviest snow. It probably wasn't as wet as some other storms in the past that may have caused some power outages. And I also think, as you mentioned, there's also some historic instances of really quickly strengthening low pressure centers off the East coast. There's right. the, I think it's the 2015 or 2016 blizzard in New York, which was just a, a crazy like bombogenesis where the storm strengthens rapidly, which was not the case here. This was more of a prolonged duration event that caused the impressive snow totals. The other, uh, some of the worst bouts of coastal flooding in general for New York and the Boston area, uh, since Sandy. And then, one of the worst in the winter they've seen. I saw uh, like Situate uh, right on the South shore. I mean, some of the video uh, I saw from there was just incredible. And, and, and some, and some problems with coastal flooding, which is the one part of these nor'easters. Sometimes I think unless you live on the coast, we don't necessarily talk about it as much as maybe we should, but uh, it causes incredible amounts of damage. Um, now let's. Uh, is there is there anything else, Dan, from that storm that you wanted to bring up that you thought that caught your ear? I I kind of ran down my litany of things. I, I think just a just a, a uh, historic note that we can, as meteorologists and and members of the public too, but but we can really learn a lot by what's happened in previous storms. We have different tools we use to sort of see how similar is this weather pattern to what happened in previous situations like this. And uh, one of the previous situations that kept coming up as a potential similar setup was the blizzard of 96. And it's very interesting because the heavy snow band in that storm was sort of close to what happened here. So you, it's really interesting that as if we know what happened in previous uh, weather patterns like this, we can sometimes have a good sense of whether what's predicted to happen has a good chance of happening. Now in that blizzard of 96, didn't we have that following kind of coastal storm? It was a quick hitter. So that's why I think a lot of people were willing to, you know, get on board when uh, the Euro was on it and then it went off it. And seemingly as we record this late Thursday and the Friday folks, the Euro's trying to get back on having something along the coast. And so is the NAM to be honest with you. Let's talk about this weekend scenario. I'm joined by Dan DePodwin, one of our forecast managers from AccuWeather, a meteorologist who's been with our company now uh, for over 10 years. Dan, let's look at this next week. So the problem is the, the, the models were pretty organized and consistent that there was something. Positioning for that last storm, there, that, there were some questions. And obviously, I don't think it caught the capture of that low and the, and the forever taking it to get away. So then you wonder what surprises are in store with this storm as we get into the weekend. But it doesn't look like I think these are some things that we can say in general. It doesn't look like the same kind of wrapped up big slow storm. It looks like if it would uh, give us some snow, it would be tending to be towards the coast and should move fairly fast compared to the last one. But other than that, going into this, this is another one of these situations where I think folks are going to really have to keep up to date and be uh, weatherproofing themselves uh, against any eventuality by keeping tuned to AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com this weekend. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. I think, you know, as you mentioned, the weather pattern is very different. I mean, the pattern we had was very slow moving, and that's what caused that last storm to be so impressive. But this pattern coming up as we head into the weekend is much quicker. Storms are moving along fast. If snow does occur along the I-95 corridor from, let's say, D.C. to Boston, we wouldn't expect it to be 24, 36 hours. It probably is more like 12 hours or something like that from a time period standpoint. But it's certainly true that the risk of more accumulating snow is 
that the risk is increasing as we head into the weekend. And part of that is because this tendency for storms like that to, uh, well, he used the term earlier, bombogenesis. And if you've never heard that term before, that's when they rapidly intensifying uh, low and there's uh, parameters about how many millibars it has to drop within so many hours. That rapid intensification, we call that bombing out. The storm's bombing out. It's getting so that's bombogenesis. Um, so when you when you're looking at that, it seems and, and I've said this to other meteorologists, I, I've seen more rapid intensification of areas of low pressure, especially near the coasts, no matter what the season. You know, we've seen it with the hurricane seasons, we're seeing it with these winter storms. Now we're seeing it with spring uh, nor'easters. Uh, so that just scares me. Anytime something's along the coast, it seems like that intensification, the models don't catch on till maybe after 70% of the models, you know, the model's life is done, right? We're down the last 30%. That's the next day. And that's when it finally catches on to this stuff. Yeah. I mean, the, the predictability, it's really interesting. Some storms, we had this with the the, the last one, even the major Northeast storm in, in December, where you had uh, computer model guidance that from seven days or more in advance really had a decent signal that something was going to happen. In this case, and this is fairly standard when you have more of a fast moving pattern, a lot of times it's all about timing of different atmospheric pieces of energy, basically, that that move along. And if the timing is so critical and we see models that pick up on it only two or three days in advance. So the predictability is very different depending on the weather pattern and the storm. And, and you know, that's why you have us folks uh, as meteorologists, and we hope that you trust us to take in that information and add our own expertise to it. Um, as good as the models are, I don't think you can ever beat just pattern recognition and that saying, I love that saying, and Brett Rossio, the professor throws it around, you know, the weather doesn't always repeat, but it often rhymes. And and we've been in a, in a rhyming pattern here about certain things. So the other big key feature that we were all expecting was this huge bitter outbreak. I mean, a week ago, it looked like it was even colder than the last one that preceded this big storm, the one a week ago. And it was more aimed at the Northeast. As we're getting later in this week, it looks like it's not as an intense drop. It's more aimed to the center of the country now. But the thing that it seems to me, Dan, and this is what it gives us more uncertainty too. past that is it locks in the cold a little longer. You know, the cold up until here in the last since we've had the, the sen- a sudden stratospheric warm up and the and the polar vortex shift and these things, it would be down uh, into the northeast and then would kind of lift out this from the Great Lakes and up through the Northeast, it looks like it locks in cold. It's not intense cold the whole time, but enough cold air that, again, we're going to have interesting things riding up along those boundaries of the cold and the warm here in the next week or so. Yeah, it's all depending on where that boundary sets up, too. That's really the key is where is that boundary between cold and warm? That's a lot. That's usually where storms like to ride along that boundary. And, you know, the cold's going to be really impressive in parts of the northern plains and upper Midwest as we head into next week. But you're right. It doesn't doesn't come east as quickly. We may have to wait to the end of next week to see that in the east, uh, although the core of it still looks like it stays a bit off to the uh, into the you know, across the Great Lakes and, and Midwest. Dan, uh, appreciate you spending time with me today. Anything else you want to talk about? I know how incredibly proud you and the rest of the forecasting management team about how uh, much work has was put into this last storm. And, you know, as meteorologists here on National Weather Person's Day and Week, 
you know, you get about a three seconds to pat yourself on the back and you got to look at the next one. So, but I know uh, you guys were extremely proud of everything that happened. Yeah. I mean, proud of the team. It's, you know, it's, it's not just here at Acular, but, you know, proud of every meteorologist who is, who, who's working in these types of situations, especially those who have to work overnights and weekends, the weather never stops. Uh, customers always need information. So it's a, you know, it's a true around the clock operation. So grateful to everyone who does that type of work. And it's, you know, it's, it's been a busy stretch. It's, it's been a busy year with tropical season record breaking. And now a, um, what was a quiet start of the winter has turned active very quickly. We had our January thaw at the beginning that a uh, couple of weeks where uh, it seemed like it wasn't very active, although people out West might differ with us there. So, uh, Dan, it was great talking to you. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Dean. Thanks so much, Dan. It is uh, amazing to talk about the great work of our team members who worked so hard this past week and want to thank them for that. Um, and it's not just the meteorologists. Again, this is the spirit of National Weather Persons Day, and it's always been the spirit of AccuWeather meteorologists do the forecasting, but there's so many people that help in the communication of our weather forecasts to our clients in the business world, our listeners, our viewers, and with all our great partners. And it's an amazing team effort. And so happy National Weather Persons Day to everybody. And thanks for certainly listening for our executive producers, Andrew Robb and Ken Prell, and for all of us as an amazing team, thanks for listening. Stay tuned to all of your AccuWeather channels, including our AccuWeather app, the AccuWeather network, and our great AccuWeather partners, because this weekend, again, it looks like some snow for the Northeast Corridor and more winter weather to come. We'll have episode 10 of our winter series on everything under the sun next week. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.